This is The Space Shot, episode 121, for September 12th, 2017. We choose to go to the moon and beyond. Hey everyone, welcome to The Space Shot, your daily space history, pop culture, and news fix. I'm John Molnix. Today's episode is a long one, and it does mark the one-third point of me producing a daily podcast for an entire year. Thank you to all the new listeners of the show and the old listeners that have been with me since the beginning. I appreciate you checking out the podcast and sharing it with your friends. For any of your friends that are into history, pop culture, space, or trivia, tag them and let them know about the show. I'd really appreciate it. I haven't forgotten about the Space Shot stickers. I've got the design finalized. I just need to get them printed up. For those of you that shared the show in August, I'll get those stickers mailed out as soon as I get them. For everyone else that missed out in August, now's your chance. Tag a friend in a post and I'll send you a cool Space Shot sticker in the mail. Before we start today's episode, I just want to say thank you for all of the love. It means a lot. Earlier today, two NASA astronauts and a Russian cosmonaut lifted off to the International Space Station on board a Soyuz rocket. The Soyuz capsules use an indicator to show when the spacecraft has reached orbit, and for this flight, they chose a small model of the Sputnik satellite. In the coming months, I'm sure we'll be talking more about the latest expedition to the space station for Expeditions 53 and the upcoming Expedition 54. I've also got a few pop culture news items for today. A teaser for the Star Trek Discovery soundtrack was released online, and it sounds pretty good so far. It's definitely left the soft rock title from the Enterprise series behind, thankfully, I might add, and moved to a more traditional orchestral arrangement. I'm really excited for the series to start later this month, and I'm hoping that the showrunners are able to do some great things with Discovery. I'm also kicking around some ideas for Discovery-related episodes, so stay tuned for that. Also, over the weekend, I watched the first episode of The Orville, and it was pretty good. It was one of the better pilot episodes for any TV show. I'm looking at you, Encounter at Farpoint for Star Trek The Next Generation. And I'm hoping the writers for The Orville are able to strike a balance between the campy fun of the movie like Galaxy Quest with some serious storytelling when it's needed. Sadly, Fox doesn't have the best record for keeping science fiction shows around, so the Orville's fate isn't exactly clear yet. Now I've got a few space history items for today. First up, three shuttle launches over three years. On this day in 1991, the shuttle Discovery lifted off on the STS-48 mission. A year later, in 1992, Endeavour lifted off on the STS-47 mission. Go figure, the shuttle launches were out of sequence. Mae Jemison became the first African-American woman in space during the STS-47 mission, and tomorrow I'll be talking more about her flight, so be sure to check out the episode. Also, finally, for the third launch, in 1993, the shuttle Discovery lifted off for the STS-51 mission with an IMAX camera. Now it's time for Cassini countdown number three. The Cassini spacecraft discovered evidence of, quote, hot water chemistry beyond Earth. Finding evidence of hydrothermal vents on Enceladus is a striking discovery. This type of activity is exciting because here on Earth, hydrothermal vents are hotbeds for exotic forms of sea life. 
Now, simply seeing hydrothermal vents is no indication that there's life on Enceladus, but it's a place that we could look at in more detail for future missions. Now, for a little bit more space history, one of the most famous speeches during the space race was delivered on September 12, 1962 at Rice University in Texas. President Kennedy delivered a speech at the football stadium at Rice University in front of a crowd of about 35,000 people. This is one of my favorite speeches of all time, and I want to read a passage from it. Quote, Those who came before us made certain that this country rode the first waves of the industrial revolutions, the first waves of modern invention, and the first wave of nuclear power, and this generation does not intend to flounder in the backwash of the coming space age. We mean to be a part of it. We mean to lead it. For the eyes of the world now look into space, to the moon, and to the planets beyond, and we have vowed that we shall not see it governed by a hostile flag of conquest, but by a banner of freedom and peace. We have vowed that we shall not see space filled with weapons of mass destruction, but with instruments of knowledge and understanding. Yet the vows of this nation can only be fulfilled if we in this nation are first, and therefore we intend to be first. In short, our leadership in science and in industry, our hopes for peace and security, our obligations to ourselves as well as others, all require us to make this effort, to solve these mysteries, to solve them for the good of all men, and to become the world's leading spacefaring nation. We set sail on this new sea because there is new knowledge to be gained, and new rights to be won, and they must be won and used for the progress of all people. For space science, like nuclear science, and all technology, has no conscience of its own. Whether it will become a force for good or ill depends on man, and only if the United States occupies a position of preeminence can we help decide whether this new ocean will become a sea of peace or a terrifying theater of war. I do not say that we should or will go unprotected against the hostile misuse of space any more than we go unprotected against the hostile use of land or sea, but I do say that space can be explored and mastered without feeding the fires of war, without repeating the mistakes that man has made in extending his writ around this globe of ours. There is no strife, no prejudice, no national conflict in outer space as yet. Its hazards are hostile to us all. Its conquest deserves the best of all mankind, and its opportunity for peaceful cooperation may never come again. But why, some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is the one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one which we intend to win, and the others too. I'm linking to the entire speech in the show notes, so watch it if you've got a chance. I do like the mix of aspirational for the country and world at large, and pragmatic calls for the support of Texans. It makes for a very compelling and memorable speech. One final thing for today, and I did want to put it at the end because it is the longest part of the show. 
I want to read from the letter that astronaut Frank Culbertson wrote after the terrorist attacks on September 11th, 2001. I'll link to this letter and the follow-ups in the show notes, so be sure to check those out. Now for astronaut Culbertson's letter. Quote, I haven't written very much about the specifics of this mission during the month I've been here, mainly for two reasons. The first being that there is very little time to do that kind of writing, and secondly because I'm not sure how comfortable I am sharing the thoughts I share with family and friends with the rest of the world. Well, obviously the world changed today. What I say or do is very minor compared to the significance of what happened to our country today when it was attacked by... by whom? Terrorists is all we know, I guess. Hard to know whom to direct our anger and fear. I just finished a number of tasks this morning, the most time-consuming being the physical exams of all crew members. In a private conversation following that, the flight surgeon told me that we were having a very bad day on the ground. I had no idea. He described the situation to me as best as he knew it at about 0900 Central Daylight Time. I was flabbergasted, then horrified. My first thought is, this wasn't a real conversation, that I was listening to one of my Tom Clancy tapes. It just didn't seem possible on this scale in our country. I couldn't even imagine the particulars, even before the news of further destruction began coming in. Vladimir came over pretty quickly, sensing something very serious was being discussed. I waved Michael into the module as well, and they were also amazed and stunned. After we signed off, I tried to explain to Vladimir and Michael, as best as I could, the potential magnitude of this act of terror in downtown Manhattan and at the Pentagon. They clearly understood and were very sympathetic. I glanced at the world map on the computer to see where over the world we were, and I noticed that we were coming southeast out of Canada and would be passing over New England in a few minutes. I zipped around the station until I found a window that would give me a view of New York City, and I grabbed the nearest camera. It happened to be a video camera, and I was looking south from the window of Michael's cabin. The smoke seemed to have an odd bloom at the base of the column that was streaming south of the city. After reading one of the news articles we just received, I believe we were looking at New York around the time of or shortly after the collapse of the second tower. How horrible. I panned the camera all along the East Coast to see if I could see any other smoke around Washington or anywhere else, but nothing was visible. It was pretty difficult to think about work after that, though we had some to do, but on the next orbit, we crossed the U.S. further south. All three of us were working one or two cameras to try to get views of New York or Washington. There was haze over Washington, but no specific source could be seen. It all looked incredible from two to three hundred miles away. I can't imagine the tragic scenes on the ground. Other than the emotional impact of our country being attacked, and thousands of our citizens and maybe some friends being killed, the most overwhelming feeling, being where I am, is one of isolation. The next day, Culbertson wrote a little bit more, and if you're interested in that letter, check out the show notes for a link to that. 
As always, check out the show notes for more information on today's episode, and be sure to connect with me on Instagram and Twitter. Find me at John Molnix. I'm always up to chat. Let me know what you think of the show by leaving a rating in iTunes. It takes just a minute to leave a rating, and it makes a huge difference because it helps even more people find the show. I'd also appreciate if you could share the space shot with your friends and family, and anyone else that enjoys podcasts. Tomorrow, astronaut Mae Jemison and Luna 2. I'm John Molnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.